What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because building your own income streams, well, that's the best way to recession-proof your life. One challenge that most new businesses face is the awareness problem. Nobody knows you exist. In this episode, you'll learn the fast track strategy to make that problem go away, how to build your email list quickly and connect with your ideal customers. Ready? Let's do it. I haven't had and still currently don't have a big marketing budget for going and getting new clients. I don't have thousands of dollars a month to run on ads and hope that it works. I also didn't start out knowing a bunch of VP of marketing at at big companies or knowing a bunch of founders or anything like that. So you kind of find yourself in this situation where you have an expertise and you can actually help a lot of brands, but they don't know you exist. And so when going through that process of how do I grow, how do I find places to market that will actually get me real clients that isn't going to be a waste of time, this strategy of just getting in front of someone else's established audience that already has an audience uh, full of people who are potential clients for you, and they have trust built with that other brand you're partnering with. So you can kind of borrow that trust and get it placed on you when they bring you in to teach a workshop to all their people. And it really helps establish trust with you a lot faster between you and their customers. That's Dustin Lean from JumpXMarketing.com, an agency focused on email and SMS or text message marketing for e-commerce brands. We last heard from Dustin back in 2017, and he was just ramping up JumpX after shutting down his own physical product business. Since then, he's grown it into a six-figure operation, and he's built it in such a way that it only requires part-time attention. One of his key drivers, partner workshops. These virtual lunch and learn sessions where he can showcase his expertise and build his client roster without advertising, without bidding for work. This works in just about any niche, and in this episode, Dustin breaks down his exact process so you can go out and apply it in your own business. To help you keep track of the steps involved, I put together a free cheat sheet at SideHustleNation.com slash Dustin2. Once again, that's at SideHustleNation.com slash Dustin2, D-U-S-T-I-N, and then the number two to grab that free partner workshop cheat sheet. Now, back to the interview. I want to replicate this thing, maybe you know, for whatever freelance service or whatever agency service that I may have, how did you go about identifying your, your like dream targets. Was it a dream 100 list? What, you know, how did you go about saying, who should I first reach out to? Yeah. Um, that's funny. You mentioned dream 100 list. Yeah. Like that actually is exactly what I did. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I didn't quite make it to a hundred. It's a lot, it's a lot to find, but, um, I guess backing up, there's an avatar that has to be established first, right? You have to know who you're actually trying to target. And that's another reason why I think freelancers or agencies that are niched down, not necessarily to like something so specific that literally no product exists like that. If you try to go so niche that you're like, I'm only going to help e-commerce brands that are selling garbage cans to women that are 54 years old living in Wyoming. Like you're not going to find any clients. It's impossible. But niching down enough to where you can establish yourself as an expert is really useful. And it helps you it helps you decide who these other brands and websites that you should partner with that actually is going to bring you the types of people you want. And it establishes kind of this this trust that you're not trying to pretend to know everything. 
like I found myself in that position in the beginning and I kind of just niched down. And that's why now it's e-commerce, email marketing and SMS marketing. And it's specifically for health and wellness brands. That's all we work with. Um, and it's really helped close clients easier because when you have those conversations or you're you're teaching on a workshop or something, you, you can you know that those people know who you help and who you don't help. And so the ones that see themselves in the category that's the exact right fit, they get really excited because they think, oh, that's me. That's exactly me. And and uh, it, it helps them to trust you over a competitor who's maybe claiming they can help everyone with everything. And that makes it, I imagine, an easier pitch. Like, I would love to come and do an educational workshop on the seven critical elements of a, of a killer email campaign or something like that, or how to grow your e-commerce email list versus like, let's just have a workshop about broad digital marketing strategies. Or it's like, it sounds, it seems like it's much more actionable um, for the audience and for the uh, potential audience conduit or who, you know, who might be your, your influencer that you're reaching out to. Dream 100, by the way, this comes from uh, a book called uh, The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. It's got a, a bright red cover. You can't miss it. Highly recommended reading. And this is the Dream 100 is like your, your, your dream client list. Like who would you love to partner with, work with, connect with in some way? And then you can kind of start chipping away at that and really focus all your energy on those people rather than you know every other client, every other potential connection under the sun. Because these are the ones that are really going to make or break uh, your business. But let's talk about those. Like, how did you identify those? And then we'll get into kind of the uh, initial outreach. The first thing is getting really clear on who your customer is. Actually, I have a pretty good avatar worksheet on this. It's on it's on our, our sister website, ecommercemarketer.com slash unlock. And there's just kind of like a vault of stuff there people can download for free. Oh, cool. But there's a good avatar worksheet in there. And really the biggest main question is, where are they already hanging out? Where are they online already? What other brand or uh, or website or company has a big enough, like maybe they have a really big budget and they've already spent the money to acquire the customers that you also want to acquire. So maybe it's a software company. When you're filling out that Dream 100 list of who to partner with, think about who has your exact same target audience but is not a competitor. And that brings us back to talking about why niching down is important because if you are, or you know, in my case, I'm doing email marketing and, S- and SMS marketing for um, e-commerce brands. So now I can go to a, another agency even, or someone who's a blogger with a, with a big audience, but they teach about SEO, specifically SEO for e-commerce. And now we're not competitors. So they don't have to worry about me trying to siphon their audience for my business. And I don't have to worry about the same thing from them. So we can actually form a good partnership, do a good workshop and cheer each other on instead of feeling like we have to compete because our target audience is the same. They're also providing SMS and email marketing services. Like, why do we want to put this guy in front of our, (laughs) in front of our email list, in front of our audience? But that makes total sense. I remember Joshua Lysak, we did an episode on the OPA plan, other people's audiences, where he was doing these in-person virtual lunch and learns for his uh, copywriting business or web design, web development business back in the day. And it was like, you know, I target kind of local small business owners. So he, you know, would reach out to accounting offices, legal offices in his, in his town and bring people in that way. It's like these companies don't offer what I do, but their customers need this or their customers might want to learn this. And so he followed this kind of same strategy as a, on an in-person basis. But let's say, okay, now you have your, your list. I like this software companies, bloggers, online influencers, even YouTubers, you know, people who may have a list uh, with some of your 
target customers on it, even other agencies, if they're not direct competitors, what's that initial outreach like? Hey, I'm just curious to see uh, you know, what that email or direct message might look like. Definitely varies. It comes down to a few key things. One thing that I believe is that there's no such thing as a good cold email. You can read all kinds of all kinds of uh, blog posts or watch YouTube videos on how to write the perfect cold email, but I just don't believe that even exists. Anything that feels cold is cold and doesn't get opened. The cold emails that do well are actually warm emails. So if if it's someone you don't know, which in most cases it's going to be, you have to find a way to make it feel warmer. So a good example of this is. Uh, when you're, you know, when you're making your your list of uh, people to reach out to to teach these workshops in front of their audience, think about what services you've already used or what blogs you already read to uh, stay on top of some of the stuff for yourself. And then that way, when you're reaching out, you can say, "Hey, I listen to your podcast every week. I love it. This last episode with so and so really made me look at my business differently in this way and that way, and it really helped. And I just wanted to say thank you." So that's a really easy way to give a compliment that's genuine and authentic, but that just makes it feel warmer. It makes it feel like there's some kind of connection, like you know who they are, even if they don't know who you are yet. Um, and that helps that opening line get read and, and the email continue to be read instead of it going straight into the, into the trash. Right. I'm starting to think of cold emails that I get and they do, they do make a good, they do a good job of making it feel warmer. Hey, hey, Nick, long time listener here, something like that, you know. Yeah, that gets my attention versus some random. And, and now, of course, I'm going to get, that's going to be like the first line of every email that I get. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> the other uh, element here that might be worth looking into, and this is something that I try and do if there's a guest that I want to get on, is looking for mutual connections. Saying, hey, would you mind passing along an intro? So, you know, through Facebook, through LinkedIn, like you probably only, you know, one or two degrees of separation away from anybody. So I imagine that may be another way to make that uh, introduction a little bit warmer. But what else do you have on this uh, outreach and, uh, and pitch part? That's probably even better in most cases is if you, if you know somebody who can give an intro, kind of vouch for you. The other thing to think about is, I learned this from uh, Noah Kagan and it just stuck with me. He said, always remember WIFT, what's in it for them? So I always think about that when I'm writing an email is uh, look at how many times you wrote I in your email. Like how many sentences start with the word I? Like I listen to your podcast. I want to partner with you. I think that that I will do a great job. Like is your is your email so focused on you that it's not even providing any value to the person you're trying to partner with? Because at the end of the day, if it's not a win for you, a win for the partner and a win for their audience then it's a lose. It has to be a win-win-win. So focusing on what's in it for them. And it doesn't mean you can't talk about your, yourself a little bit because you need to to establish some credibility and you need to say, you know, I'm reaching out because, you know, there's this uh, specific topic that I know a lot about and, you know, I get really good results for our clients and I think that your audience would get a ton out of this. So like that's the value then is I think your audience would get a lot of value out of this because... And so always, always keep getting it there as fast as possible so that they start to think, you know, is this actually good for my audience? And so if you can establish that it's good for them and their audience, they're a lot more likely to say yes, which is kind of the third and final part of cold emails, or I should say warm emails, is making it as easy as possible to say yes. If you have a specific pitch for them, break down exactly how it's going to go. 
And in this case, workshops, you know, breaking down, you know, I want to teach this workshop. Here are the topics that I want to cover. We can use my software. I already pay for it. You don't have to pay for it. I will build the landing page. I will create email copy that I'll send to you to send out to your audience so you don't have to write it. You know, I'll create a graphic and send it to you so you can post it on social media. Put things in there to assure them that this isn't going to be a laborious project for them and that you're going to handle all of the hard work. All they have to do is help you promote to their audience and, um, and get the pats on the back. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Okay. Do you ever get anybody coming back to you and say, yeah, that sounds good, but I want a 50% referral commission on anything you you sell off the back end? And you're like, well, it's an agency. So the margins are, you know, that's it's a little more tricky than a, a digital product. Do you get that kind of like, oh, I want to be, a, I want a piece of the action? Man, you know, it's funny. I, I don't think I've ever gotten someone reply with that, but that is something that I offer sometimes, um, depending on who I'm actually doing one next week, next Thursday, where we have a, a, an agreement of how much, you know, how we'll split the commission. So like you said, it's a fine line, you know, with margins on an agency, you can't give away everything or it's not worth it, of course. But one thing that I do is I like, I also have some digital products and stuff on ecommercemarketer.com. So sometimes that'll be a part of the, of what the workshop is. In that case, if it's a digital product, I mean, it's, it's pretty much a hundred percent margin, right? So I can give them 50% and that's no problem at all to me. I'd much rather pay 50% of a, you know, a hundred dollar product 
for everything that's sold to people that I never would have gotten in front of to begin with, or I would have had to spend $99 to get in front of them to sell them a $100 product. It's still a better deal than straight advertising. So, you know, on the agency side, what we do is a $500 referral. So if we get a client and they stick with us for at least three months, which everyone is contractually obligated to stick with us for at least three months. So that's easy enough. Then we pay out 500 bucks. And so that's a nice way to push someone over the edge who isn't quite sure, or maybe they have a really big audience and they have a tight calendar. That's a nice way to kind of squeeze yourself into their calendar. Okay. That makes sense. So most people are not necessarily looking for that or asking for that upfront, but it can be a way to uh, sweeten the deal. Especially, you know, if you're, like you said, if they're giving you a, a warm introduction to their audience and you're making money off of that, then you make it a win uh, for them. And you know, we've talked about, you know, different strategic complementary partnerships. I think this is a, an interesting way to do that too. Anything else on the outreach and pitch front that you have seen deliver success? One example is that this isn't necessarily a strategy to seek out because you can't really, it's kind of more of an inbound type of thing, but I recently had a software company set up a, a call with me to pitch me on using their software for my uh, clients. Okay. And in the call, I guess just like, you know, looking for opportunities to pitch also. So on the call, I said, you know, we are, we actually already do have some clients that use your software. Um, and, you know, the other ones I will, I'll definitely put it in front of them and tell them the pros and cons of using it. What do you think about also doing a workshop in front of your audience? That was the you know, the, the fastest 2000 email subscribers I've ever gotten in my life was just from, from this software company that was pitching me just being able to say, you know, say honestly, like we already use you. So this is great. Let's do something together. And I was able to give a lot of value back to them and, and teach their software to their customers. So looking for opportunities to pitch where it's a, where it's kind of a no brainer. Yes it really comes in handy. So keeping it top of mind and not always thinking just about, you know, it's not all about going straight for the sale. Sometimes it's, it's trying to do these workshops and keeping it top of mind, how you can partner with, with different companies. Yeah. I like this a lot, especially the software angle. We've talked about the uh, software with a service business model, business angle before. And we've you know, seen people do this with Asana and QuickBooks and Salesforce and you know, SEMrush and all these different ones, where it's like, if I'm an Ahrefs customer, for example, for SEO and keyword research, Ahrefs doesn't have, at least to my knowledge, a an in-house team where they're like, we'll just do it for you. So it's like, that might be, if you're an SEO service provider, if you're an agency, to reach out to them, as just as an example, to say, hey, I want to teach people how to use your software better or so you know here here are seven things you didn't know you could do in this tool to skyrocket your thing because a certain percentage of that audience is going to be like that sounds super cool i just don't have the time to do it myself could you do it for me and that's like your ideal your ideal customer so i like this uh, software company angle like piggybacking on the popularity of an existing software and existing audience in your email you say well, i'm going to make it as easy for them as possible to say yes we'll use you know my hosting software, you use my landing page, you know, anything like that. Uh, what does a tech stack look like today? What, what makes the most sense for you for email collection, for webinar hosting, all that stuff? For my website, I use Webflow. I, I used to use WordPress. I still really like WordPress. I think I have a couple of sites still on WordPress. But Webflow has been really cool as, as far as being able to drag and drop design a little bit easier and make it look a little cleaner. So I've been enjoying using that. So I'll pair that with ConvertKit is what I use for 
you know, email capture, things like that. And, and, and obviously for the email marketing side of things, which ties into the workshops because, you know, in the workshops, there's always a call to action for them to go opt into something. And then uh, there's drip campaigns that come after that to help me close sales that way. For the actual webinar, I use Webinar Ninja, which I've been really happy with so far. Competitive on their pricing and the streamability is really strong for the most part. And also when, when I build landing pages, I just use their, I use Webinar Ninja's you know, landing page for, for uh, signing up for the workshops. Um, and it works really well. They have, they have good kind of uh, like automated emails after, you know, after people register, it sends them a sequence of emails, like you registered, here's your information, all that kind of stuff. And I like that you can go in and edit those and you can add more or subtract. So they have a lot of, Webinar Ninja does a good job of getting you 90% of the way there. And then you can kind of just add in the extra little parts that you want to make it personal for for you and your business. Okay, so the process flow would be this outreach and pitch, like, hey, I'd like to host this workshop. Here's the you know email copy to send people out to, you know, I'll build the landing page. People register for it on that landing page after your your partner sends out that email. And it's like, here's, here's the date and time, you know, enter your email to register. At least for, for my business, that's the magic sauce, is if you can be the one who hosts the workshop yourself uh, using your software and having it go to your email list. That's not always the case, especially with bigger brands or, you know, bigger software companies who don't want you to have their customer data, which I can understand. A lot of software companies, like really big ones, they already do workshops, like they'll do monthly workshops. So they kind of already have a system for it. So you're really just pitching yourself to be one of those guest workshop people they already have it all figured out and that's great too because you can go on there and still get in front of thousands of people in an hour you know but i really like when i can control the setup process and collect those emails because then even the people who you know if you if you get in front of let's say you get in front of 300 people that signed up for the webinar and maybe you get one sale out of it that's still awesome. But what's more awesome is now you have 299 other email addresses that you can put into a drip campaign, explaining more about your business or teaching them so that they become more comfortable with you for when they are ready to work with you. They, they you know, work with somebody, they pick you, you can put them in your newsletter. So it kind of, it's just establishing that relationship even stronger. So if you can set it up yourself, it's great. And it, uh, a lot of companies appreciate it because they might not have the internal teams to even know how to do that. Maybe they've never done a webinar in their life. Yeah. So it seems daunting. So to come in and say, don't worry, I'll handle all the tech is really a big win for a lot of brands. Yeah, totally. That would be me. I don't know if I've been on the hosting side of a webinar, co-hosted lots, but never been the one to like fully run and set up the whole thing. Going back, oh, especially like the company that already has, oh, we do a monthly webinar for our customers already. That's a fantastic target. And, uh, you know, Tailwind comes to mind as like a Pinterest scheduling software. You know, you have some, you know, killer Pinterest strategy that might be worthy of sharing. Or like, here's how to design eye-catching video pins in Canva or something like that might be compelling for them. Active campaign comes to mind as well. Like, here's the crazy simple sales funnel that worked for me in active campaign. I don't know, like maybe they're already doing this and it's easier to insert yourself into their existing process rather than have them create a new process for you or do this totally one-off thing. So that was Webflow, drag and drop, website builder, convert kit for the email capture, webinar ninja for the 
hosting and scheduling of the workshop itself. Any other must-have tools for you to make this happen? A couple more I was thinking about, you know, one is just something like Keynote or Google Slides or PowerPoint, whatever, so, something to make some slides. I just find it easier to, to teach that way on the workshops. But then for the outreach part, sometimes you can identify easily what company you want to partner with or pitch for doing a workshop, but you can't find the right person. And so that comes up a lot is like how, you know, I, I know I want to partner with Clavio. How do I, it's a big company. I can't just like email their CEO or founder, like it's not going to work. So a tool that I like to use is, is called hunter.io. You can create a free account and it does plenty in my opinion. I don't even know what their paid one does, but anyway, I use the free one. And you can just uh, type in any URL and they will scrape the internet and see what email addresses are set up for that and um, give you a list of their titles if they can find it. So you know, it'll say director of marketing is this person and here's their email address. If they can't find that detailed information, they will help you figure out how to guess the person's Maybe they can find the people's names, but they're not 100% sure on what the email is. They'll say, well, this is their name, and we think it's first name dot last name at whatever. Yeah, at the company, like as the common email structure at this company. Okay. Right. So it helps you guess. And then you can just go on LinkedIn and find who the active you know, director of marketing or whoever is, director of content, something like that. And then now you have their name, you have the email structure, so you can just guess their email accurately. Um, and that's been really, really useful because trying to go through, you know, info at or something like that or a contact form, you're never going to get there. Yeah, you're not going to get anywhere. That's actually really helpful. I remember this was like long ago in the in the Side Hustle Show archives. It's like I was trying to figure out you know, how to get sponsors for the show. And so my genius idea was to have a virtual assistant go through other business shows. They made this big list of companies that were already advertising. And, you know, I picked, you know, the five or six that I liked and thought would be a good fit. And from there, the process kind of stalled out because I couldn't find the right decision makers at these companies. And occasionally you'd get a reply back of like, well, you know, we buy through this agency or, you know, it was just, it was much more difficult than I, <laughs> I thought I was a genius. Like, oh, this is going to be a fantastic way to sell some ad spots. But that's a really important point is that it's one thing to come up with your target list, your dream 100 list, so to speak. But another thing to find the the person who has the authority to say yes, like how to find the right decision maker at that place. So hunter.io, cool resource uh, to check out there. Anything else on the tech and tools front? Nope, that's it. That's what I use. I'm curious about the webinar structure or if there's any resources to learn, you know, what makes a good presentation in terms of, you know, it's five minutes of intro and 45 minutes of educational content and 10 minutes of call to action. Like what kind of structure have you found to work best? What's worked best for me has been, well, first of all, focusing on making it a workshop and not a webinar. And I mean, essentially, it's the same thing. But the mentality of a webinar is usually like, I'm going to use this workaround way to try to pitch people to work with me or buy my thing. It can work, sure. But do you think marketers have just ruined the term? Like marketers have ruined... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> marketers ruin everything. And I know because I am one. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's like any anything that's good and pure gets distorted uh, as fast as possible. Now it's not even a workshop. Now it's like masterclass is like the next one. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's funny. I, I literally, now I, I call uh, 
I, I don't even call my courses courses anymore. I started calling them either either master classes or I'll call them like a mini course. Like I'm trying to like find new terms so people don't have these like weird associations from the past. Yeah. So I, I think of them as workshops and I pitch them as workshops and all of the verbiage leading up to it is saying your free online workshop is starting, like things like that. And that bleeds into the content of, of it as well, because the goal is to make sure they can learn something that they can apply immediately after they're done. Where a lot of content dies is when it's too much all at once and someone has to try to absorb what you're telling them and they're, you're telling them 10 different things and they have to try to apply it to their business in their head and then they have to try to figure out how to do all 10 things and then they get the result. But in this case, I like to just teach them something they can actually go use because I find the best clients come from people who are willing to take action on advice. And so it's almost like a good filter for finding the right clients. So structure-wise, I try not to go over an hour Typically what I'll do is about, it ends up being like maybe six or seven minutes of an intro. I'll start with, you know, here's what we're going to cover. I'll tell them this is a workshop, not something to passively watch. And I'll tell them I want them to take notes. I'll tell them that I'll send them the replay afterward, but I want them to take notes and I want them to write down questions because we're going to do Q&A at the end. So I make it very much feel like this is a workshop where you're doing something right now. You're not just half listening while you're making dinner or something. I want them to be engaged. And so about five or six minutes of intro, and then we'll go into teaching. Um, and I'll typically try to, you know, start with a, here's the, the common problem. Here's why it's a problem. If you continue to try to do it the way you're doing it, here's what you'll be missing out on. Here's how most people try to solve this problem, but here's how, why that doesn't work. Then here's the actual solution of what you should do. And so that's kind of the order that I try to keep it as far as how to teach. And then I try to show as many screenshots as possible if it's something technical, because again, you know, I'm going to give them this recording so I can remind them, here's a visual, you're going to have this. So don't worry if you're not absorbing it right now. Focus on writing what makes sense to you. I ask a lot of questions too. I try to ask a question at least every three slides and I ask them to kind of respond in the chat. One, it helps It helps me when I'm teaching because you kind of feel like you're in a silo because nobody else can, you're not seeing any other faces, you're not hearing anybody else. So if you're, if no one's engaging at all, you, you just feel like you're talking to a wall uh, when really people are probably really engaged and interested, but you just don't know that. So I try to ask questions every three slides or so, and it keeps them engaged and it can help me kind of redirect if I'm getting too technical on accident or something I said didn't make sense. I can kind of ear note those questions for the Q&A section. And then, you know, toward the end, every workshop I do, I give a link to some kind of bonus resource that's directly related to how they can go do this thing right after we get off. I taught one recently on uh, abandoned cart sequences. So it was how to set up your abandoned cart sequence in 30 minutes or less. And so it's a really specific thing we're trying to solve. It's not a super big trying to teach them everything at once. It's one specific thing. And so the bonus resource was email scripts that they could just copy and paste into their email provider so that the work was done for them already. And they could just put it in there, push go and watch the results come in. That's kind of the approach I take there is I, I don't typically pitch services on these workshops. My goal is to teach them something useful they can use immediately and then capture their email. Those are those are my two goals. Because if I capture their email, then they go into a drip sequence for me to, to pitch them services later after they've kind of already got their feet wet and seeing that it works. That if they try what I say, it'll work. 
in the case where you didn't collect it up front through the invite. Right. So yeah, if it's already collected, that makes it I still do the bonus thing just because it's it's helpful. So the yeah, really the process doesn't change whether I collected their emails, you know, whether I hosted it or I didn't. The process stays the same, but the results are just usually bigger if I can collect the email lists on top of it. No, this is this is cool. And this is kind of in contrast to a uh, Russell Brunson expert secrets style webinar where it's, you know, you know, here are the limiting beliefs that we have to overcome. It's like, no, here's the problem, the technical problem you're facing in your business. Here's why what you're doing is not working. Here's the trend line of you keep doing what you're doing. But the good news is, and he, oh, by the way, you can do it yourself. Here's here's how, you know, our clients are getting it done, or here's how we're doing it for clients. I imagine kind of working in those type of soft sells, like just letting people know that it is something that you do versus buy my thing, you know, buy my $10,000 thing at the end of the at the end of the uh, lesson here. I still do, you know, workshops or webinars where I'll pitch a, you know, a $99 product or something or even a couple hundred bucks, but I find it pretty and I don't think I've ever closed anything over 1500 bucks using a webinar in my life. So trying to pitch agency services, you know, that are in the 3 to 5000 a month range over a webinar is a pretty tough pitch in 45 minutes to an hour. But if I can be really helpful, yeah, you know, in the beginning when I'm talking about who I am so that they, my uh, favorite line is just to tell them like, you shouldn't believe everything you hear on the internet because anyone can lie over the internet. So, you know, don't take my word for it. Just like, look, you know, these are the clients we've worked with. Here are the results we've gotten for them. Now, you know, you can probably trust me and now let's move on. And it kind of helps establish early that I'm not trying to con them and that I recognize there's a little bit of trust imbalance that we're going to have to work through, but that I have actual expertise and I've worked with real clients and that lets them know that they can work with me as well if they choose to do so. But it's in a, it's in a way, like you said, where it's, it's a little bit more of a soft approach to where I can focus on teaching them. Cause at the end of the day, you know, trying to do services for people. A good service solves one of three problems or, or ideally multiple of these three problems, which is you're either saving them time, you're saving them money or making them money, or you're improving the quality of their life in some way. And so if uh, in this case, you're, you're not going to ruin your chances of closing a client if you teach them how to do one thing on their own. And if they can do the one thing on their own, then they don't need to hire you anyway. It's not a good fit. So getting that out of my head early was important of... of not worrying if I was going to disqualify myself by teaching someone to do something themselves. Because chances are, they're either going to be overwhelmed by it anyway and want help, or they're very capable and can do it themselves, in which case, wonderful, great, help somebody today. And then, you know, or, or they're going to, maybe they do, do understand how to do it, they just don't have the time to do it. And so they'll hire. So there's really no reason to not just full on teach everything you can, teach everything you know. Um, it's only going to build the confidence of people around you that you are the right person to hire for for current or future projects. Yeah, this is a list building play. This is a credibility and authority building play, trust building play. I think there's a lot to this that has really worked out well in your favor. Tell me about like getting psyched up before doing the first one. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, what am I going to talk about? Like, who do, who am I to teach this stuff? Like, just, you know, I imagine some people are like, this all sounds cool, but like, they're still facing some of that imposter syndrome. 
I always get a little bit nervous. I feel like if you're not a little nervous, you probably don't care. <laughs> you know, nerves are an okay signal. But for me, what helps is just being prepared. So the more prepared you are with your slides and your material, and ultimately, as long as you know what you're talking about, which presumably you do, if you have services for somebody that you're going to do for them, then uh, you don't have too much to worry about because this is, this is kind of your zone, right? And if people are showing up to your workshop and you know they know, they know what the topic is ahead of time, so if they're showing up for it, it's because, you know, and your name was already on the landing page. So they know that you are going to teach them this thing and you can assume they, they don't know how to do that thing yet. And so that helps me at least to remember that I don't have to be an expert at everything for everyone, but to these people who signed up, I'm an expert to them on this one thing. So I can kind of, one, let go of the, of the ego of assuming I have to be an expert at everything to teach anything. And I was going to say, even if they do end up taking action, like you said, like I would be, you know, maybe I'd be afraid of, well, if I show people how to do it themselves, nobody's going to hire me. But like you said, going back to your uh, abandoned cart example, if you can deliver some wins on like this one very specific email process, email segment, email sequence rather, and they see some positive results from that, it's like, well, shoot, you know, maybe we ought to get back in touch for what, what else have you got? What else you got for the rest of these emails that we should be sending? How do we collect more? All this stuff. Any surprises, mistakes, disasters uh, along the way outside of the, uh, the ever-present like technical problems with webinars? Can anybody hear me type of stuff? Oh yeah, I had a bad one. <laughs> I had a bad one about, uh, it was, it was really like kind of a worst case scenario, uh, which was good though. I got through it, but about I think it was like three months ago I was doing, it was definitely one of the, one of the bigger, if not the biggest one I've ever done. I think there were 11 or 1200 people on, on live with me. So I, that was a bit of a freak out moment just for a second. Cause I was like, I was looking at the screen and I was like, it's, it, I was like, I know that the process is exactly the same, whether there's one person over there or like a million, it doesn't really matter, but there's a lot of people staring at me right now. And so that was a little bit of a, of a panic moment, but got past that. And I was like, it's going to go fine. I'm prepared. Let's go. Got into it. It was going great. And then there was one part where the, uh, the brand that I was partnering with, they were asking me to do like a live screen share and walk through how to use part of their tool. And I had practiced and it worked fine. But then of course, when it was with a thousand people watching, as soon as I hit the uh, screen share button, the whole thing crashed and I couldn't see anything. Nobody could see me. I didn't know if people could hear me still or not. And then I was getting, I was getting emails and texts from the brand from their director of marketing, and he was freaking yeah, out. Dude, where did you go? And he's like, we can't see you. We can't hear you. Where are you? Everyone's everyone's leaving. I was like, I don't know what to tell you. So I just rebooted my computer. It took like six or seven minutes, which is kind of an eternity when you're on a webinar. And like, of course, you, you assume people will drop out. And then, uh, but got back in. And to my surprise, I think only about uh, it was something like 7% of people left and everyone else stayed and waited, which I thought was super cool. It made, it made me feel good about the value being provided there. But that was a, a pretty big blunder. I don't think the brand appreciated that one very much. Uh, yeah, those, those types of technical challenges, especially when you got a bunch of people staring at you in the face. That's one reason I like podcasting. Hey, we're not live. You know, we can edit it after fact. If the call drops out, nobody has to know. Yeah, it's a, a whole new skill set to, uh, to deliver anything live. Well, this has been, this has been awesome. Really appreciate you sharing kind of that stuff. And, and it sounds like just kind of leaving it, you know, with the call to action being like, Hey, make sure to go grab this bonus versus 
press hard. I only have, uh, I only have three clients available for next month. Like, you know, make sure you sign up here. Is that correct? Yeah. And uh, really just making sure that that bonus is in good alignment with the service that you offer and with what you taught during that workshop. It just helps keep that cohesiveness together so people know what your niche is and they know that they're a good fit for you. After the webinar, you're sending out the replay and people who did opt in are added to kind of a welcome onboarding sequence. Can you give just a brief sense of what type of messages you're sending those people after attending? It's really at least the one that I use. It's not super long. I think it's four emails, but it really is just doubling down on what we talked about on the workshop and reminding them like, you know, actually, actually go use that resource. It's a, uh, and that's a good place to, to work in. Like, you know, our clients have used our clients at, you know, and put your, put a link to your website, you know, use this and, and got these results in the last few months. Like it'll work for you too. Um, so kind of using a, a reminder method there of like, we do this for clients. It will work for you, whether you hire us or not, but you can certainly hire us. And then I, I use a very teaching heavy focus, but then making sure to have like a, or, or this is how I do it, I guess I should say. Um, I have my main call to action on sales type drip emails is just to go book a exploration call. I use tidy Cal for mine. Uh, there's a bunch of them out there. Calendly, um, What's the one that you used? I really liked it. When I we... used Schedule once. I bought Tidy Cal because it was, you know, fifteen dollar, you know, AppSumo lifetime deal. I just haven't like fully switched over to it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, I, I like the one that you used too. But the main thing with that too is making sure people feel because just remember how many pitches people get. Like business owners get pitched stuff all the time from people trying to sell them on stuff. So if you can be the person that's there to be helpful and there to be a resource you're much more likely to get the win with that client. I have a short questionnaire that they fill out just to make sure it's the right fit. And that all just happens straight through straight through TidyCal when they're signing up. It just asks them, you understand this is a, you know, a $3,000 plus service. Like in, in theory, if this was a good fit, do you have the budget for that? Yes or no. It kind of just helps the process move along better and it shows transparency. And then I like to have something in there that says, you know, just so you know, we'll talk about your business no matter what, you're going to leave with some with some wins that you can go back and apply. If it's not a right fit, I will tell you that it's not a right fit. But if it is, I'll tell you that it is. And then you have to stick true to that. You have to actually be willing to tell a potential client that it's a bad fit and that they shouldn't work with you. Um, and that's how you keep credibility in an industry. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Using that, you know, just bug. And that's always a frustration point for companies you're just researching. If you're not putting your pricing on the website, fine. But I, I don't also want to waste your time if it's just like, you're completely out of my league. Well, what's your budget? That's like my least favorite question. What's your budget? Like, no, 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 don't answer that. That's a trap. That's a trap because there should at least be a range because typically what people will do is, what they're really wondering is how much can I get away with charging you? A service, um, in theory, if it's a well-thought-out service, should have some kind of standard pricing model. Even if it's percent-based, you can say, you know, our pricing is 10% of the revenue we make for you or something like that. Yeah, so I'm, I like to be upfront about it because it saves me time from not talking on the phone with people who aren't a good fit. It saves them time from not trying to talk to me when it's not a right fit. So just trying to be a, I don't know, be a good of a human as you can be. 
while you're doing business, you know. Do you do anything on a performance basis like that? 10% of revenue? I don't currently. I, I did though. Um, it was it really saved the agency in a lot of ways um, when uh, COVID first hit because there were we lost about 50% of our client revenue in across two weeks. And so that was pretty intense. And so immediately um, I flipped it to a percent-based model when reaching out to clients because it gave them the security that they're not going to have to pay a big fee if they're not getting any results. And during a time like a crisis like that, it was it was really helpful. And then that comes back to making sure everything's a good fit, you know, especially doing percent-based model because you can get the bad end of the deal on that pretty quick. So what I did that was useful is I did, you know, for email marketing, I would say, you're going to pay us 10% of the revenue we make for you that's attributed to email, but there's a $1,000 minimum or there's a $1,500 minimum, or I don't remember exactly what it was. I think it was $1,500. But that way you give a baseline so they know, okay, this is the minimum I'll pay, but it's also the most I'll pay if the results aren't there. So it can be useful, I I think, especially if you're trying to get in the door with a new client or maybe a client that's not quite at the level to pay a higher retainer and you can kind of work them up to that um, and you have the space on your roster for that, it can be pretty useful. I think it's really compelling from a client perspective. Um, And I've seen people do it with Facebook ads or something where it was like, just pay us a percentage of what you make off the ad. And, And there's a whole issue of tracking and attribution and everything that goes into that. But it's from the client side, it says, okay, you're willing to put some skin in the game, so to speak, and say like, look, we trust our process. We know you're going to make money. And that's why we only are going to make a a fee based on, you know, if you win, we win kind of a thing. But Dustin, this has been awesome. So this is at jumpxmarketing.com. You can check out the agency over there. Ecommercemarketer.com is where you can find some extra resources if you are an e-commerce brand or want to get into that space. But what's what's next for you? What's got you excited this year? I'm just really focusing on growing uh, ecommercemarketer.com and helping more young brands, people with side hustles. I really think, I mean, just looking at the statistics, e-commerce is just exploding. I think in the next four to five years, personal blogs were in like 2013, 2014, where it started to feel normal for people to have those. I think we're going to start seeing in a few years, most people have some kind of e-commerce store on the side uh, where they maybe they sell their favorite items that they use. You know, there's a lot of different things happening now where you don't actually have to own, you know, you can do drop shipping now, um, or you can do partnership deals where you're just selling other people's things on your site directly for them and, t- and taking an affiliate cut. So I think we're going to start seeing a lot more people, uh, a lot more smaller e-commerce brands start out and they're going to be really low risk. And I'm really excited about that for entrepreneurs who are just getting started because the more of the risk you can take out, the more fun it gets. I like it. Sounds like a great mission and excited to see where that one goes. Again, ecommercemarketer.com. Dustin, let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation 2021 edition. This has been my theme for the past few months is just shoot your shot. We hold ourselves back a lot when we say no for other people. So if you have historically been afraid to pitch ideas to other brands or to try to partner with people or do things with influencers, whatever it is, if you've uh, or even reaching out to a client, you know, it'd be a perfect fit, but you felt a little bit afraid to reach out and get that failure. Just shoot your shot. You never know who's going to say yes or no. Most people are going to say no. So just know that. And no, it's not a direct reflection on you. It's they're just, it's not the right fit at the right time. So shoot your shot, launch, get started uh, and learn as you go. Cause that's really the only way to uh, improve is to get started so that you can start learning. 
It's so true. And very similar to 2017's advice, I had to go look this up. The number one tip from back then was give yourself permission to take action. So interesting to see that, you know, not a lot has changed on that front. You got to get out there. You got to get started. You got to put something out into the world and see what kind of reaction it gets. So Dustin, really appreciate you joining me again. We'll have to do it again in uh, in another four years and see where you're at. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. You bet. We'll catch up soon. Just trying to be a good human of all the actionable advice that Dustin just dropped. That's the bit that stood out to me because that's an almost daily conversation I have with my kids. Let's just try to be good humans to each other. Be helpful, be kind, be respectful. Stop kicking your brother in the neck. This is an episode I know I'll be referring back to for years because it's so applicable to a ton of different businesses. How do I get clients? That's a question that every entrepreneur asks themselves. And there are lots of ways to do it, but I really like Dustin's approach here of being of service first and seeking out these win-win-win relationships. If you're thinking the virtual workshop strategy is worth a shot in your business, I put together a free cheat sheet to help you get organized and keep track of all the steps at sidehustlenation.com slash Dustin2. Once again, that's at sidehustlenation.com slash Dustin2, D-U-S-T-I-N, and the number two, to grab that free partner workshop cheat sheet. Big thanks to Dustin for sharing his insight. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show, where you'll meet the podcaster who turned a personal pain point of his into a profitable side hustle. I'll see you then. Hustle on.